one of the challenges that I see is that couples where there has been a significant drop in income, and I'm just going to say, let's say it's him, she kind of doesn't believe it. Yeah. And doesn't want to reduce her expenses because she doesn't want to show the court that she can exist on Uh, a smaller budget. And uh, so there's this friction between the two of the earner might be saying, I'm only making X now. It's half of what we had before. And the non-moneyed spouse that's not working is saying, yeah, but guess what? We've been living this lifestyle and have continued to live it even while you told me that we were earning less and now you're asking me to cut my budget in half. So unfortunately it becomes almost like a chess moves, Mm. right? Like I'm not gonna reduce my spending if you're not reducing your spending. And ultimately, and you know, we talk about keep the kids in mind in your podcast, ultimately it creates a huge amount of animosity, friction, and the kids feel it. Hi, I'm Rachel Green, Brooklyn-based divorce mediator and collaborative attorney, and this is my podcast, Keep the Kids in Mind. Join me as I chat with other industry professionals about everything from smoothly navigating your way through divorce to prenups, all the while keeping the kids in mind. Hello, and welcome to Keep the Kids in Mind. We have a very special guest today, Stacy Francis of Francis Financial and Savvy Ladies. And Stacy has a lot of wisdom to impart about um, money and money struggles and money meaning um, it, for all the families um, going through transitions. So welcome, Stacy. I'm so pleased to have a chance to hang out with you for a while. I know. This is something I've been looking forward to all week. So I am, I am super excited. Yeah, um, I am too. I've been looking forward to it as well. <laughs> Um, so I know you have such an interesting story about how you got into this work. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Yeah, no, I'm happy to Rachel. Um, you know, I could have never actually imagined myself in finance, let alone, um, someone who has dedicated herself to, uh, working with women going through divorce and after or women that are on their own because their spouse has has unfortunately passed away. Um, but I saw how for women, money can be uh, the difference between life and death. And what I mean by that, I grew up um, with one of the most important people in my life, my, my grandma, um, and watching her be trapped in a, a marriage that she was really mistreated. And I, I, I saw the emotional abuse and I knew that wasn't right. But as I got older, Rachel, I also realized that there was physical abuse. And on top of that, um, as I got older, realized that there was also financial abuse and what that really is. And so she found herself um, really trapped in a, in a marriage, a unhealthy, a dangerous marriage. Um, and we lost her. She ended up passing away because of the abuse. And oh gosh. Rachel, for me, it was, uh, 
I'm still very angry at my grandfather. Um, the only good thing about it is that, thank God, he died six months later. So he never got to meet my children, which was like a blessing for me, which I know sounds so awful, but he was an awful man. Part of my healing and part of my paying it forward was in starting a really beautiful charity called Savvy Ladies. And that is my love letter to her. And through Savvy Ladies, we work with thousands and thousands of financially vulnerable women, women in need, offering them support, education, financial literacy, and even the ability to work one-on-one -on -one with a certified financial planner. Um, so I, I feel really blessed to do this work. It was born out of a lot of loss and trauma in my life. But um, I do have to say, Rachel, I know how proud she would be. And I know that her suffering, it's helping others. Mm -hmm. That she's not being forgotten. Her story is not being forgotten. And the story is so difficult that sometimes it's what's needed to jar people. Yeah. To listen I mean, it sounds like and realize. You've created a charity that is giving other people the resources that you wish that your grandmother had wow. had. Yeah. yeah. And how old were you when she passed away? So I was in my 20s. Mm. And um, yeah, so she never got to meet her grandchildren. Um, she was able to meet my husband, which was wonderful. But um, yeah, so it it is not a way that anyone should ever grow up of seeing someone you love so much hurt. Um, but I know for me, it's what has just fueled this passion in me that I will tell you, Rachel, burns as brightly today as it did when I started the organization. Yeah. And um, it, I'll be honest, starting an organization, a nonprofit uh, is very hard. Um, I actually started my wealth management firm the year after Francis Financial to pay for it. And so while the journey has not been easy, two decades later, I, I do look around and kind of, I'll be honest, um, am amazed that we're where we at, are at and we're able, we're, we're doing such good work and and that the charity has flourished so much. And Francis Financial actually has really flourished as well. Yeah, I didn't realize that you started Savvy Ladies first. I did. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. So if you could, you know, if you could, let's say, um, tell women going through divorce, you know, the top two or three things, what, what would to you do? Yeah. yeah, what would you say? So, you know, I'm going to come at it from the financial end because yeah. that is my, that's what you that do. is my whole life. Right. Um, the first thing is to get as clear a picture as possible about where your financial situation stands. And so that means understanding all of your assets. And, and I, I want to be clear, a lot of people don't realize all the types of assets that they should know about. And so, of course, checking accounts, savings accounts, but also 
CDs, money market accounts, if you have cash value in a permanent insurance policy, and then you have investable assets such as brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, all of those assets at your employer or your spouse's, stock options, restricted stock units, performance shares, maybe there's private equity, hedge funds, Um, more and more people have cryptocurrency, annuities, pensions, Um, and then there's also businesses in real estate. Yeah, I see with a lot of couples that, you know, there still is kind of a gender imbalance. And, um, and there are some women who, you know, just have like a head in the sand kind of attitude. And they, you know, I mean, I have a friend who's, who's like that. And she describes it, you know, almost like the Cinderella complex, like wanting to be rescued by the prince. And so she doesn't know anything about the family finances, because she's just, she's just delegated that to her husband. Um, You know, she's very accomplished, intelligent woman. And yet, and on this level, she has this expectation that she's supposed to be taken care of. And, um, and she just doesn't know, you know, basic things about the finances. And her, her husband actually tries to like, schedule, you know, financial dates. Um, Which I think I first heard that term from you. (laughs) Um, And, and she said she just spaces out when he's talking about the finances, she sort of just checks out. So, yeah, I, I get so that. Probably um, women, many women who who are coming to see you or me, um, you know, suddenly have to get up to the speed on this stuff. And it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah, it can be frightening. It can be overwhelming. Um, we did a survey and uh, of 150 women and wrote a beautiful book called Unveiling the Unspoken Truth, um, The Financial Challenges Women Face during and after divorce. Oh, and what we, we found- link to that. To yeah, that, I'll definitely um, add a link and then you can go right notes, to our website yeah. Yeah. and you can, you can download a copy free of charge. So we'll make sure we give that to you, Rachel. And what we found is only 30% of, of couples make financial decisions together. Really? So that is 70% that don't. And right. in that 70% is typically the female partner. So now she finds herself looking at a possible separation or divorce, and she is having to essentially drink out of a fire hose to get up to speed with all these different assets. And the assets that I just rambled off, about 15 different types of assets, each one has its own tax DNA, tax implications. Each one has different risk and reward growth opportunities embedded in it. And so it can be a really difficult time. And like I said, the best thing you can do is start to get really clear on what those assets are. Ideally get a statement showing that value, the most recent statement available. And in the book that we wrote, Unveiling the Unspoken Truth, there's a really beautiful net worth worksheet. Um, And it allows you to start to put all that information in there. Um, And there's even things that you need to think about that you may not 
think about as an asset. What about credit card miles? Mm. Um, I just spoke to one lady. They have over 3 million oh credit card miles. Wow. 3 million. Yeah. I think the other thing travel that travel for 10 years. <laughs> I know. And then we looked at their tax return and they have a loss carry forward of $2 million. So I guess he had invested in a, a, a private equity business that went bust. And so they have this very, very lucrative carry forward loss, which essentially what that means for all of you listening, I know it doesn't sound so exciting, but it means that you can earn $2 million in growth in your taxable portfolio and not have to pay Uncle Sam. That can be the tune and, and definitely has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings and taxes. Wow. That's that amazing. too is an it's asset. Like it, so it turns it into a Roth IRA. <laughs> it like it's, it's, does it's actually. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because we know Roth IRAs are, I, I always say Roth IRAs start with an R because they're really, really good. Whatever Roth IRAs grow to, you get to take out tax free. It's like, right. it's, it's kind of like eating Godiva chocolates, Rachel, and not get having calories. Who doesn't want to have that? <laughs> right. So that loss carry forward is an important asset of the uh, of the yeah. couple. So, all right. We were saying, like, what are the top couple of things that you would want women that you would advise people to do? So the first is to make sure you're as clear as possible that you've identified all the assets and you have categorized them and and exactly. you know, hopefully gotten recent statements. Yeah. And then what's the next the next thing? Well, it's, it's on the other side of that balance sheet and it's looking at all the liabilities. So uh, credit, you know, credit card debt, um, car loans, definitely all mortgages. A good number of people also have HELOCs, which is a fancy way of saying um, the, the uh, home equity lines of credit. Right, and then the there's, there's yeah. yeah. And then student loans. Some people still have student loans. Mm. And then there's some loans that sneak up on people that they don't realize they have. We have found through the divorce process, loans taken out on the value of a life insurance policy. Oh, interesting. Loans taken out on the value of their 401k. Loans taken out called a margin loan on the value of their taxable account. Mm. Taxes owed from previous years yeah. that weren't actually paid and now are accruing penalties. So again, you want to make sure you have that full picture. So right. once you have the beautiful assets and liabilities, again, the spreadsheet is right there in the book that you can use. And once you've done that, the next part is getting really clear on your expenses. And I know, Rachel, that you are a huge proponent of that because you don't know what you need if you don't know what it costs to live. Right, that's so true because, um, you know, we, we run um, the calculations under the statutes for the child support and spousal support, but I always feel like that's the first step. You know, you can't say whether $2,800 a month is enough unless you know what your expenses are and, and compare that with, you know, your earned income and then say, do I have a shortfall? Do I have a surplus? You know, is this going to work for me to pay all my bills and feed my kids or yeah. not? And you can only evaluate that in the context of your, of your analysis of expenses. Um, you know, I've had a couple, a few couples come in lately who 
are living like way beyond their means. I mean, actually, in in these two cases I'm thinking about now, um, they run in their families that live in circles where all the kids go to private school and do all kinds yeah. of fancy extracurricular activities and um, you know, they certainly expect to be able to send their kids to college without the kids having loans, um, you know, and they live in Manhattan. Um, and, and then the, the husband's work has fallen off for various reasons. So they're not earning the income that they used to earn when they established this lifestyle. And, um, I, it just, it, it gives me a stomachache, you know, um, because they're still spending at the same level yeah. that they, they always spent. And do you see that in your practice and, and what, you know, what would you do with that kind of situation? So I will tell you, uh, Rachel, we see this, uh, extremely frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, the person might have been in finance, um, you know, things like all, all different stories, but they are continuing their living expenses as if that income is coming in. How are they doing it? Well, they're depleting their assets. They're, you know, dipping into their taxable accounts, anything that is liquid. And so unfortunately, um, by the time sometimes they're, they start the divorce process, they might only have retirement assets left. Yeah. And even and some of those, we, we see even loans, like yeah. loans on 401ks. One couple I'm working with um, sold their apartment like about three years ago and got, you know, a good amount of money for it. But then they turned around and rented a place that's $9,000 a month, you know, yeah. to have a comparable uh, apartment. And, and um, I mean, the husband called me one day and said, you know, we're really in a bad bind. What do you recommend I do? And as a mediator, I don't usually tell them what to do. You know, I just try to give them a lot of options. But I, I think because I was so <laughs> disturbed by this situation, I said, do you really want to know what I think you should do? Take your kids out of private school, move to Brooklyn. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, and, and that that's I'm actually what the it. answer is, is there's yeah. some hard decisions. There's and hard cut, decisions. Yeah, and, and if you don't have the income, you have to cut your spending. Yeah. I mean, and I have not, a so yeah, I have, a, I have a, a technical term for that, Rachel. It's called adulting. Huh. There you go. <laughs> it's called adulting. And, you know, guess what? We have to grow up. And, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, you know, share my own personal story. My husband and I, um, you know, through 2008, his income dropped by half. Mm. And I was still very young in starting the charity and then starting the organization, Francis Financial, to support it. I, I was not much of a help when it came to finances and being able to earn. And we drastically had to change our lifestyle. But can I tell you, we did it. Yeah. And we are better for it. Yeah. And it, but we, we had to make some hard decisions. I think one of the challenges that I see is that couples where there has been a significant drop in income, and I'm just going to say, let's say it's him she kind of doesn't believe it yeah, and doesn't want to reduce her spense, expenses because she doesn't want to show the court that she can exist on uh, a smaller budget. And uh, so there's this friction 
between the two of the earner might be saying, I'm only making X now, it's half of what we had before. And the non-moneyed spouse that's not working is saying, yeah, but guess what? We've been living this lifestyle and have continued to live it even while you told me that we were earning less and now you're asking me to cut my budget in half. So unfortunately it becomes almost like a chess moves, mm. right? Like I'm not gonna reduce my spending if you're not reducing your spending. And ultimately, and you know, we talk about keep the kids in mind in your podcast, ultimately it creates a huge amount of animosity, friction, and the kids feel it. They yeah. see it. The kids definitely feel it. Right. I mean, you can't you can't hide that from your kids. And kids whose parents are in the middle of divorce are like hyper focused on how each of their parents is feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so they're going to see it. Yeah. yeah they're going to see it. <clears throat> and, you know, for divorce is, is difficult for kids, but it can be, it can be made a lot easier if you're able to make sure there's not that secondary loss. So yes, there's the loss of their parents each being married, but you don't want to have a secondary loss of them now feeling financially insecure. Yeah. And that's often what happens is then they worry, you know, am I going to be okay? And it's a, it's actually a concern for like their physical safety of, you know, if we don't have money, am I going to be safe? Yeah. So having that you know, open communication with your children is really important of you are safe. We are okay financially. We're going to step back in some of our spending because what that's going to allow us to do is it's going to allow us to have an emergency fund it's going to allow us to build our savings it's going to allow us to be able to continue to put money away so for you to go to college and i'm really excited for you to be more involved in this because the more involved you are the more you're going to learn and the more you learn um, the better decisions you're going to make in your life right. so yeah you know I'm above, I'm of the ilk that I believe that your kids should know as much as you can um, to try and help them know, again, that you have a plan, you're making good decisions, and they're going to be financially safe. And, and also, I think it can be self-esteem building for the kids to say, um, oh, you know, I, I'm going to get a job after school scooping ice cream or... Um, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, because then they can feel like they can do something and, and they're contributing to the family um, by not needing allowance or, you know, not asking for spending money. Um, I mean, I think that can be like, they can really feel good yeah. about themselves that they're able to contribute in some way. So um, I, I, I agree. I think it's an opportunity for um, financial education, which is so needed in our society. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like um, children are not routinely given financial literacy. It depends, you know, it's just done by no. family by family. If you, um, if, you know, I, I've heard too many horror stories of kids who get a credit card when they go to college, you know, they get offered a credit card and they just think, oh, it's free money. Oh, I have a $5,000 limit. That means it's like someone just handed me $5,000. They don't understand. That yeah, that you have to pay it. You have to pay it back. Yes, yes. And you have yeah. to pay it back. 
Um, uh, but I, I have a friend who has always had money problems and um, they've, you know, they've always had a mortgage. They've refinanced the mortgage on their home. They've taken out a second mortgage. They've, um, at, you know, money's always been tight. And part of it is that um, the, the husband has been in and out of work, you know, in his career uh, okay. a, a number of times. So that's part of this, the stress. Um, but she was talking to me about her daughter who's now in her 20s and living still living with her parents and the daughter goes to the mall and spends $200 on cosmetics and moisturizers and and you know skin at Sephora you know she just loves all that all that stuff and i i said to my friend have you like sat down and discussed that with her and um talked about, you know, what are her financial goals? Has, does she save? Does she understand, um, you know, what interest rates are on her credit card, et cetera. And then as I was saying that to my friend, I, it suddenly hit me that my friend had never had that education. Yeah. yeah. You know, and she hasn't, I mean, mm -hmm. she hasn't managed money that well herself and she doesn't have the skills to teach her daughter how to do it either. Yeah. It just gave me a stomach. Rachel, I'm, I'm so today. Yeah, no, but I'm so happy you brought that up because you are 100% right. The number one reason parents don't educate their children about finances is that they themselves feel like they don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to give a resource that will change every parent's um, trajectory and their conversations with their kids. This book changed my life. It's called The Opposite of Spoiled. And it's wow. all about, oh my gosh, it's such a good, because there's actually no word that means the opposite of spoiled. Um, it is a fantastic book that I tell every parent, no matter what age your child, whether they're, you know, six, seven, eight, they're in their teens, or they're in their 20s, it is a must read. It is a must read and it will change your relationship with your kids. Reading that book gave me the confidence to let my kids see everything. Mm. And I might be on the, the spectrum of maybe you're like, okay, that's too much. But my our kids know exactly how much I make, how much my husband makes. Wow. They know what all of our expenses is, what it costs to live in our house. They know exactly what their private school tuition is. They also know what the balance of their 529 plan is and what we're contributing to it. And it's very clear. Now, how this is, has created um, financial literacy for them is that it has inspired them to start saving. So they now have really well-stocked, gorgeous portfolios at Charles Schwab. And what they do is whenever they get gift cards or money at either the holidays or their birthdays, they sell them to Michael and I. And we say, okay, we will put the proceeds in your Charles Schwab account. And um, their grandmother was going to give them additional money for spending money. And they both said, I was so proud. Grandma, can you put it in my Charles Schwab portfolio? And I love it. They are investing and it's a little competitive right now. The younger one, Samantha, who's 14, is actually doing better in her investment accounts than <laughs> my son, who's 17. Um, 
And I'm just so proud. My son is working this uh, this uh, summer, and he's going to have a now a Roth IRA because he has earned income. And so he's starting his Roth IRA at freaking 17 years old. That's How? Fantastic. Like, can you imagine if we knew this? Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, and I will just say again, it was the opposite of Spoiled, which was a book that just it gave me the confidence to be really open with my kids. Yeah. And I will tell you, it's been, it's been so good for us as a family. That's, that's really so interesting. I'm definitely going to read that book. Um, and we can post that with the show notes yes, for this podcast as well. Um, that's really, that's really great. That's kind of really inspiring. Um, and, and that's, uh, well, I mean, I would expect that being in finance and seeing the mistakes that people can make that you would, you would be trying to help your children avoid those mistakes as, as I have done with my children as well. Um, so yeah. I know that you have also been um, developing a specialty for people who have lost a spouse, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of, of, of their passing away. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the work that you've been doing in that area? Yeah. What are some of the major concerns with, yeah, with there's, widow um, or widower? There's a lot of overlap between women who are going through a divorce and, you know, starting their new life. And a lot of the advice is similar. Um, I have seen so many people struggle financially after the loss of their spouse. And I hope everyone's sitting when they're seeing this and listening. Um, 50% of women over age 65 who are widows live on $24,000 or less. Oh my gosh. Yes. So there is a real big problem and and that's including their social security, Rachel. So that does include their social security widows benefit. Um, I was just on Capitol Hill for International Widows Day to speak to legislators about this very little talked about challenge and what needs to happen, both from a financial literacy point of view, but also changes within the social security system, um, better education about life insurance, better education about, you know, you know, getting involved with the finances before you find yourself on your own. Mm. Eight out of 10 women, 80% of women will have to make financial decisions on their own at some point in their life. So guess what? It's, it's going to happen to us. And when we do find ourselves in that place, um, we often find are very ill prepared. I just was speaking to a woman who she said, you know, my husband was a business owner. I thought he was doing really well and he suddenly passed away. I realized he wasn't, he wasn't saving. There was no life insurance and left her with almost a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt. And, and the credit card debt doesn't die with the, with the cardholder? No, so what ends up happening is if the credit card debt is just in their name, then that person's estate has to pay that debt. So if there were any assets 
to transfer to the spouse. Trust me, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express are going to be first in line to be paid back before that spouse receives the assets. Now, something that you can do is that you can hire a very good trust and estate attorney, which you're going to need anyway, and have them negotiate that dollar amount down. So that is something to know. And you do definitely want to have a great trust and estate attorney to help you move through this process to be as financially whole as possible. Um, but I do see so many women who lose a spouse that really struggle financially and they're trying to mourn and grieve the death of their love of their life and at the same time trying to collect the hundreds of documents that are needed to prove the value of those assets. Wow. And, you know, we're definitely not at our best at that time. Yeah. And so dealing with widow's fog, which is it real, it is, uh, you know, studies have shown this is real. We do forget things. We have a harder time remembering. We have a harder time understanding complex issues when we're going through significant grief and trauma. I um, I lost both my parents in this past year and my mother just passed away in May. Um, what is it, July, two months ago. And I myself have a child's fuck. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not yeah. a child, but you know, I, I, I yeah, can identify with that fog because I just have this like block. Like every time I think about, my, you know, I'm the executor of my mother's estate, but every time I think about the assets, I just go into this fog and I can't hold it in my head. And I keep creating spreadsheets to just have it written down so I can refer to them. Because I mean, I'm not like this at all with my clients. I can hold their finances in my head, but I'm finding that my parents' estate, I'm just like, what did yeah. we say we were going to do? And where is that account? And you know, I was joking to my sister that I, I lost $167,000. I, I didn't lose it. It had been transferred into my account a couple of months ago, but I just forgot. And then yeah. I, I, like I, I, you know, I was on the phone with this very nice person from TD Ameritrade, and it took twenty minutes for him to find it. And I felt like such an idiot, but you know, it was, uh, it was grief fog. It is, and yeah, um, you know, I, one of the things, grief fog, it shows up with so many losses. And I've seen, of course, losing a spouse, losing uh, a dear friend, losing a parent. We have that. And, and I actually see it through divorce. Yes. Um, I see That's it too. Because, yeah. you're, you know, you're grieving the loss of a relationship. You're grieving the loss of the future that you, that you thought you, thought you had. Yeah. And um, I would say my biggest message to everyone who is finding themselves on these different journeys, difficult journeys, is just don't do it alone. There are great therapists, divorce coaches, grief coaches. There are fantastic financial advisors too that will hold your hand and lift that burden for you yeah. um, and help you along the way. And so I find that 
the people who come through divorce, the people who come through a significant loss of a, a death of a of a family member are those that have created a really strong team around them, Mary Chell. That is the biggest predictor of being able to move through that in as whole a way as possible. Yeah. 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 Well, Stacy, maybe this is a good place for us to end. I feel like we could we could talk for another hour and a half, but yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, and I'd love to give one more resource um, oh, for course. those. Yeah. For those people that, um, you know, have suffered the loss of a spouse. I, I wrote another book called Financial Help for Widows. It's a resource guide. What's lovely about this, Rachel, is that it tells you the time frame of when you need to do certain things, when you need to have certain documents. Um, I find that a lot of recent widows it, there's just complete overwhelm because they feel pressure to do everything all at once. And this is the love letter that tells you, you don't, and what are those timeframes and how, how do you collect these items? Who should be on your team? How do you interview a financial advisor to find the right one? How do you interview a trust and estate attorney? How do you find the right therapist? You know, that, that power team for you. What a great uh, resource. That's so wonderful that you put that all together um, so that somebody going through the experience of loss and grieving can have a guidebook to help yeah. them to make these um, decisions and, and put together the team to support them so that they yeah. they come through, you know, into their new newly structured life and they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. I think you've given our audience a lot to think over. Um, and we'll make sure to put all three of these books in the show notes along with your contact information. So thank you so much for the work that you do, Stacy, And, um, and hey, you I too. keep helping the ladies become savvy. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we call it Savvy Ladies. There yes. we go. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks. Thank you.